This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour, the best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City, along with my producer, Blake Snyders. I'm here every Sunday in Kansas City. Our shows are rebroadcast around the week, around the country. And I look forward to doing this show with you every week because we talk about the mental side of sports. I've been very fortunate to have been in practice. I'm in my 40th year of work as a sports psychologist. My 30th year of radio here in the Kansas City area and our shows, as I said, are broadcast nationally throughout the week and are podcasted on Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, all over the place if you want to listen to them. They're rebroadcast here and on my website as well. We talk about mindsets, sportsmanship, concentration, focusing, preparation, how to deal with stress and pressure. What does confidence mean? How do you develop a positive attitude? One of the few shows about this in the country, and very fortunate to be on live here every Sunday morning in Kansas City and have the shows uh, available for everyone to listen to via podcast or on other stations around the country throughout the week. You know, I, I like to talk about topics on this show that I think will be of interest to you. and. If you've listened to the show throughout the years, you'll know one of my passions is youth sports. I've co-authored a book uh, with Jeff Montgomery, the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame closer, and Peter Malone, Hall of Fame swim coach, coach for 40 years, five Olympic gold medalists. The book's called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. Wrote the book about three years ago. It's still very valid and will be for a long time because we talk about how to make it fun. Why youth sports should be fun. Youth sports has, with this pandemic, been affected like everything else. Sports leagues stopped playing. You know, it's been just over a year now that everything pretty much shut down. Everything is starting to open up again, thank goodness. Sports teams are playing. Youth sports activities are starting up again. Schools are opening up again. Kids are getting the opportunity to go back and play. You know, the mental health of our kids is so important. And sports plays a big role in that. It allows kids an opportunity to express themselves, to vent, to have fun, to play. But youth sports is going to be an interesting area to study as we get back into life again, as we come out of our homes, out of the apartments, and start playing again. Yesterday, I talked to a young man I work with in New York who's a high school baseball player. He's just now starting to practice again. 
They're, all the facilities where he was able to go practice basically have been shut down. They're just, in the last two weeks, have just started to, to play again. So how's everybody going to come back from this? The stress, the frustration, the anxiety is very not, noticeable amongst our kids, and we need to definitely deal with that. And it's disrupted the lives of all these kids. In the last three segments of our show, we're going to have Christopher Bork on, who is a professor of education at Vassar College. He co-authored an article called Youth Sports Needs a Reset. Child athletes are pushed to professionalize too early. COVID-19 forced the multi-billion dollar youth sports industry to be put on hold. And in this article, they talk about taking advantage of the time to look at it with fresh eyes. You know, and he talks about in this article, they've been studying youth sports over the past five years and found some very interesting things. Youth sports industry increased by 55% from 2010, 2017, and now constitutes a $19 billion market, $19 billion. Our research organization that they have here focuses on youth sports projects that this total will climb to a $77.6 billion industry by 2026. It's going to jump up almost $58 billion in the next six years. So in this article, they talk about youth sports, the impact it has on families, and how we need to get back to youth sports in communities. And we'll talk to Dr. Bork about his opinion here on traveling teams and things like that. You know, I've talked forever about the pressures that we put on kids. I had a couple new clients this past week, parents and, and young athletes, talking about pressure. And what I'm seeing in my work and I've noticed this more and more the last three to five years is that there is more and more pressure on kids to specialize at young ages. And I mean like eight and nine years of age, not 12 or 13, eight and nine. There's pressure to play that sport year round and don't play other sports. If you want to be good, if you want to be on a traveling team, on a club team, well, then you can't play other sports. Well, that, to me, is a bunch of BS. And I'll tell you why. If you read stories about great athletes, and I do that quite frequently, you will hear most of them, not all, but most of them talk about the fact they played a lot of sports when they were kids. They played a lot of different things. Roger Federer played all kinds of sports. He was 14 or 15, and then he started playing tennis most of the time. Alex Morgan played a bunch of different things. And then she specialized in soccer around the same age. Well, they've been pretty good. I'd say they've been pretty successful. I think kids should play a team sport and an individual sport. Years ago, when I was the University of Kansas sports psychologist working with the basketball team, Larry Brown and I had a long talk about kids. And I've shared it on the show many times. He said that 
He thought kids, young kids, should play a team sport and an individual sport because it teaches them different things, and I agree with him 100%. You play an individual sport because it teaches you about building your confidence. It teaches you about becoming self-reliant. You play a team sport to learn about sharing, about sacrifice, about commitment, about communication, about working together. And I think if you just have your son or daughter just in one thing at eight, age eight or nine, well, we've got to specialize. And in the, you know, it's no longer just like you don't play baseball just in the summer. You go to training facilities all year round to get hitting lessons and pitching lessons. You'll go work with a nutritionist. You go work with a sports psychologist. You work with a physical therapist. You're doing all these things. Kids need to have the opportunity, I think, to play. You know, you know the word play, and it's in our intro. What's happened to the word play? Do kids go out and play anymore? No, they go out to practice. And so I think this is something we've got to get into. We're going to talk about it with Christopher Bork this morning. He's going to join us here after our break. And I want to hear from you. If you're a parent and you are concerned about your child and where they're at with youth sports, are, are we specializing too much? Are we putting too much pressure on them? Are they having fun? Have they has fun gone out of their life because they've got to win? As a parent, do your kids need to win? I'd love to hear from you. We're going to have Dr. Bork on with us. He's a professor of education at Vassar. We're going to talk about this. He's going to join us here after our break. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad. 
How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every Sunday live in Kansas City. Our shows are rebroadcast around the country throughout the week. And today I'm talking about the topic of youth sports and the pressure that exists now to play on travel teams, to specialize, that type of stuff. As we come back from this pandemic, as kids are given the opportunity to play again, go out and play, get outside, be around your friends, have fun. Remember that word fun? A lot of people forget that word when they go to youth sports games. This is about winning. We got to win. We got to beat. We got to beat the other team. Bunch of nine-year-old girls playing soccer, but they got to win. No, they need to go out and play and have fun and enjoy the experience. So joining me now is Professor Christopher Bjork, who co-authored an article called Youth Sports Needs a Reset, Child Athletes Are Pushed to Professionalize Too Early. Professor, thank you for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You know, I, I love your article. It's exactly what I've been talking about for years and years. Tell us about how, how you uh, got into writing this and, and your concerns about youth sports right now. Well, I, I wrote this article in USA Today with my co-author, William Hoynes, and we were both motivated to study the topic because we had both uh, acted as coaches, parents, board members um, in youth sports organizations for about 15 years, but we found it really hard to get a sense of perspective when you're in the middle of it and you have all these emotional ties, especially as a parent. So we spent two years following four, uh, four travel teams uh, because we were really interested in the effects of competitive athletics and growth in the industry, and we wanted to know what it was like, what motivated parents to sign their kids up for, for travel teams, what their goals were, and how it affected their families. And 
how much money did you spend traveling these teams with these travel teams? How much did we spend? Oh, yeah. I didn't even keep track. We surveyed the the parents, and they spent between one and five thousand dollars a year on travel sports. But that, you know, as you're very aware, the industry cre- keeps growing, and we expect those costs to continue to climb. Well, I've which talked. Is why to, we pushed the article because we want parents to really think carefully before they make those decisions. Well, I, I love your article, and there are a lot of things I want to address that you wrote about in here. But I, I want to share with you. I've I've been on the radio for thirty years here in Kansas City, and for years I have talked about the fact that I believe youth sports is going in the direction where we will have a competitive league for pregnant women sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's, a, that's another thing that really interested us was, you know, when we were kids, playing year-round sports was something that was reserved for really elite athletes, but the industry has grown so quickly that now there's a travel team for every sport, every location. You know, in, in town near us, there was one travel team, and within five years there were six. And so it's, it's started to replace community-based leagues like Little League or AYSO or things like that, and that's had really profound implications for kids and also their families. So let's talk about that for a minute, because the, the, in the book that I co-authored with Jeff Montgomery, Cancer Royals Hall of Fame pitcher, and Pete Malone Hall of Fame swim coach called Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes to Youth Sports, we, we dealt with this issue. And one of the things that came up as we did our research was that with, like, I'm in, in Kansas here, and in some small towns, for some of these teams to play, they have to travel to other towns to play because there's no, nobody else to play. So there, there, is some, there is a need for some teams to travel right. some, you know, not hundreds and hundreds of miles, but to do some traveling. But basically right. when you've got, you know, teams within a city, what did you find out from that? Well, um I've heard one nice thing about writing that piece in USA Today is I've heard from lots and lots of parents, and clearly it depends on the region. You know, some places, as you mentioned, there aren't a whole lot of options. But we're, our point is just we hope parents will make reasoned decisions and think carefully about what's best for their kids because what we discovered is that most of the parents we interviewed don't really think carefully about why they would why, why uh, travel team sports would make sense or wouldn't. And we're not trying to demonize travel, uh, travel sports. My kids play on travel teams. But we just found that parents often make that decision just because uh, the friends of their family are doing it or because they see other kids wearing the uniforms or the jackets. And, and there are many, many options that may work for them uh, that they just haven't considered because of this kind of crowd herd mentality. So what are, what are those options, number one? And number two... You know, from where I'm coming from as a psychologist, I look at the consequences this has on kids. And, I, you know, I have so many athletes that I see, and I've been in practice for 40 years, and I've, I've seen a shift in yeah. a lot of the, the kids. First of all, they're younger and younger coming in. Exactly. I had parents of a 9-year-old girl come in this week to talk about their daughter and, and this, this basically this type of issue. And right. what I'm seeing is there's more and more pressure to get on these these travel teams and special teams and elite teams and premier teams because if you don't then you're not going to make it you're not going to survive and you're not going to get anywhere right you know and one point that you make in your book that i really agree with is this idea that parents think if they don't jump on the bandwagon when their kids are eight they're they're going to miss out on all, all these opportunities and you know one thing that we do in our research is try and understand why the decisions parents make can make sense and and one of those those reasons is that um, they're so concerned that their kid won't 
get to play on the high school team or, or whatever. Um, and because the specialization is starting so early, they're feeling this pressure at younger and, when their kids are younger and younger, and so they don't have kind of a base of knowledge to make those decisions. So what we're finding, A, and this is the point you make in your book, is that you, your child can still have an outstanding athletic career if they, even if they don't specialize until they're 13 or 14. There are lots of opportunities to join travel teams or just to excel on a high school team, regardless of what they do when they're seven years old. And the other thing is, if they decide they want to, their kid to pay travel sports and it makes sense, there are many, many teams that they can try out for. They don't just have to automatically sign up for the club that their next-door neighbor is playing for. you know. And, and they don't have to even play for the team in their town. It's really worth while to spend a little time doing research on the coaches, on the amount of time that's required, where they travel, their philosophy towards towards playing and winning and things like that. The word fun yeah. is gone, isn't it? Yeah. In some to some degree. Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that is? I think because you know, it's a complicated issue and there are lots of factors, but I think the number one factor is this commercialization of sports and the intense pressure that families feel um, to go all in. You know, when parents are looking out for what they perceive as what's best for their kids, they tend to do just about anything that they're asked to, to do, especially in terms of investments. And so the way we look at it is parents have shifted kind of from enthusiastic supporters of their young athlete children to career managers. And so there's this pressure, when even when they're eight, nine, ten years old, to sign up for extra coaching sessions or training sessions or to have them play in summer ID camps or whatnot. And so kids absorb that, you know, before they have a good sense of what they really want to do. When we come back from our, our first break here together, uh, I want to talk about the effect that COVID has had on, sure. on these kids, because one of the things that's, that's been a concern for me has been, and as for, for most people, has been the fact that you know, kids haven't been allowed to go out and play, be on these teams. Everything was shut down. Right. The mental health of our young people is such an important component. It is for everybody, not just kids, for parents as well. But it's really forced people, I think, I, I think a lot of people have taken advantage of this situation to do a lot of introspective thinking on themselves and where they're at and what are we doing and the pressures they're putting on their kids. And, yeah. and, and to me, as, as we said, I think specializing shouldn't happen to your 13 or 14. I think, you know, that the opportunity... With, with the, the COVID-19 scenario we've been in, the pandemic we've been in, has to give people some time to think about where are we going, what are we doing. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. 
America. Your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. And joining me this morning is Professor Christopher Bjork from Vassar College. We're talking about an article he wrote about youth sports and the effect it's had on life, basically, and just what it's done for kids. He co-wrote this this article with William Hoynes. It's called Youth Sports Needs a Reset. Child Athletes Are Pushed to Professionalize Too Early. And uh, Christopher, when we, when we talk about COVID-19 and the effect on kids, the effect on parents, what did you find out in your research there? Well, a couple of things. One is that you know, it's just created a tremendous amount of stress for families that kids need to be outside exercising. It's 
spending time with their friends, and sports is a, a great way to do that. And in COVID-19, with COVID-19, a lot of them are struggling for those kind of interactions. But we're also, as you alluded to right before the break, hoping that this will give parents a chance to kind of pause and think really seriously about what their long-term goals are are for their kids. And so as we come out of COVID, they can kind of reset and think about what they want most for their children, not just what they feel pressured to do. When, when you say that, what they feel pressured to do, where does that pressure come from? Um, I think a lot of it comes from what they're hearing from other parents. So that mm-hmm. was one of our main findings is that sports initially, they approach, you know, parents approach their children's sports careers as hobbies, but they quickly changes. And for a lot of them, um, because, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but the, the influence of the neighborhood has been declining. So kids are just spending less time with kids who, other kids who live near them, same with parents. So they're, all, they're all searching for these social connections, and the travel team can provide that because it's a chance for them to interact with like-minded people on a regular basis all year round. But that also can create an echo chamber where the parents are hearing from other parents who have bought into this industry. And so, you know, in the past, their kid might have played soccer for a couple months and then, uh, you know, sang in a choir for a little bit. Now they're, they're so focused on that one sport that they're hearing people who reinforce this notion that you've got to specialize, that you've got to be thinking about your kid's future NCAA career. And we're hoping that this pause will give them a chance to rethink things like that. Well, this, you know, this has been going on for a long time. My, my oldest son, Jonathan, is 31, just had dinner with him last night with his fiance, my girlfriend. And, and um, when he was starting kindergarten, uh, mm-hmm. Christopher, the day before kindergarten, I got a phone call. And he, like I said, he's 31. The day before kindergarten, I got a phone call from a dad who got my phone number off the uh, list on the door, the door of the students and their parents for kindergarten. And he said, you know, is this Andrew Jacobs? I go, yes. He goes, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Is your son Jonathan? Yes. Well, we're starting a youth uh, soccer team, a kindergarten <laughs> soccer team. We want to know if you want to sign your son up for it. And I said, well, actually, sir, no, I don't think we're going to do that. He's more interested in wiffle ball right now. And <laughs> this guy's response to me was, and this was, like I said, he's 31 now. Well, sir, I don't know what you know about sports, but he's going to fall behind everybody else if he doesn't get started now. And I said, well, you don't know what I know about sports, and he won't be playing on your team. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Um, he started playing soccer a year or two later, played until he was a junior in high school, and then he, he quit because he loved basketball and he loves golf. And, no. you know, this has been going on for a while. People pressure people. You're going to fall behind. You're not going to fall behind. I, You know, we hear so many stories about Lorenzo Cain, the great center fielder now with the Brewers, who played with the Royals when they won the World Series, didn't start playing baseball. He was 14. Right. And Michael Jordan was cut from his freshman basketball team. He well, seemed to do okay. Well, yeah, he he did all right. So so yeah. the pressure that that I see from other parents, there's pressure where you're going to fall behind, your, your kid right. isn't going to make it. How do we get you know, parents to make these decisions without feeling that, that pressure from others? Yeah, I have a couple of, uh, of ideas. And I just want to start out by saying I understand my parents feel that, that way. I signed my kid up to play on a, on a soccer travel team when he was, I think, nine years old, not because I thought about it carefully, but just because of the reasons that you suggest. I felt that pressure. So there are a couple things that I think we can do. One, well, Excuse is, me, so what happened? He was nine, you said? Yeah. And, and is he and still he, playing? No, but he, he's 22, so he's oh, okay. beyond that. But, you know, he did fine, and it was a really good club, and 
he enjoyed it. But what happened to him was he was enjoyed playing multiple sports, especially baseball. He played basketball. And he, at the age of about 12, had to give those up because of the time commitment that was associated with the travel team. It worked out fine. But if I had had more information, I might have made a different decision. What do you think and you would have done? I think I would have just held off for a few years um, because you – I did feel like if I don't sign him up now when he's nine, he's going to fall behind and he's never going to be able to catch up. And I didn't realize that that's not true at all. You can, you know, when you're 12 or 13, you have just as good a chance to make it on a travel team. And in a lot of ways, it makes more sense physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, But I didn't have that information. So one of the main things that we can do is educate parents and give them information that will help them make informed decisions. And the other thing is, you know, as we were doing our research, we realized there are some really great organizations um, that provide training for coaches, like the um, Alliance for um, the Positive Coaching Alliance and groups like that. There's a group at Boston University who's doing these stuff. But there's really no expectation that parents um, need to are given any kind of detailed and accurate information when they sign up. Um, So I think it would be great to offer workshops or, um, you know, as kids are signing up to try out to give them different options that they can mull over. So let me throw throw this out as I'm listening to you talk. So one of the things that I talk about on this show all the time is is the importance of coaching psychology and how... I always say a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And so much of the, the, so many of the issues that I'm hearing from clients who come into my office or people I talk to in general about this whole issue is how their kids are coached by their coaches. And so many coaches have this, this desire, need, win, to win. Win, 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 win. And as we come back from, from, the pandemic and as practices are starting up, one of the things that I'm encouraging coaches to do is is instead of having a practice where they're practicing, you know, hitting or shooting or kicking or whatever, have a practice where the kids just sit down and talk about how they feel. How does it feel to be back? And even have a session with the parents as well to talk about everybody's expectations about coming back, what they want, because everyone's coming from a different place coming back from this pandemic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, and, and the thing is, there are coaches out there that are doing outstanding work. So we followed four travel teams really closely for two years. And one coach who really stood out to me coached this elite girls soccer team. And she was very clear she'd have meetings with, with parents, as you suggest. And she would emphasize to them that there was value in playing other sports and doing, uh, you know, engaging in other extracurricular activities. And it would be okay if they didn't come to every practice because they had a choir rehearsal or a volleyball practice. And what she told us was that she found that the kids who took little time away to play another sport or engage in a different activity came back to soccer refreshed and enthusiastic. And their team was outstanding. So it's this, you know, parents sometimes assume that if my kid's team isn't playing five days a week, they're not going to be competitive and my kid's going to fall behind, but that's not the case. It's interesting you say that because several years ago I had a high school quarterback I was working with and he was the star of his team. His team was undefeated and they, they, they lost their first game of the year. At mid on a Friday night they lost it and he played a great game, apparently from what, what I was told. At uh-huh. midnight the coach was so irritated, he called a mandatory 6 a.m. practice 
and said, if you're not on Saturday, if you're not here, you will not play in the first quarter of the next game. Yeah. This young man's mom called me hysterical because he had an eight. The only time he could see me was eight o'clock on Saturday mornings, and I said yeah. it's fine. You know he can. He, this will reschedule, but she was so furious. She laid into the coach. She goes, "This isn't. Yeah, we want to win. We want to do well, but these kids need to have a life." Right. And the coach right. said, "It's all about winning. That's the only thing that matters." And that. But you know what's fascinating to me is when I, we watch these teams play. The parents assume that, but I was amazed how even with these competitive travel teams. They would lose a game, and five minutes later, you would never even know. The kids were horsing around. They were there just to play with their friends, and they had forgotten that loss in a matter of minutes where it was the parents who tended to stew over it. Exactly. Well, we're going to come go to our next break here, Christopher. We'll come back. I want to talk about fun, how okay. we can make sports fun again for everybody. I'm sports sure. psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest is Christopher Bjork, professor of education at Vassar College. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> when people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. 
Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. My guest this morning is Dr. Christopher Bjork, professor of education at Vassar College. And we've been having a great conversation about youth sports. He co-authored an article, USA Today, about this and the future of, of youth sports, what's happened because of the pandemic. And, and Christopher, let, let's, let's talk the, about the word winning versus the words winning versus fun yep okay tell me your perspective on those with what you study with people yeah well i think that the way that kids approach winning can almost always be directly tied to either messages they get from their coaches or from their parents it's not that kids just grow up in this world with a cutthroat attitude towards winning when we would see um, kids misbehaving on the field or having temper tantrums you could almost always connected to messages they received from their parents. So I think the key to this whole process is establishing a sense of balance for kids, for having conversations with them about what what the importance or lack of importance attached to winning in your mind, and then setting realistic goals. Um, And again, balance is key to, to organize their lives so that they aren't playing football 80% 80% of their time outside of school, but they're doing different things that kind of allow them to let off steam and think about other things that are important. I've always, you know, I, I, I've played sports my whole life. I'm 66 years old. I'm going to play sports until I can't move, uh, which hopefully will be when I'm dead. So <laughs> hopefully I'm going to be playing most of my life doing something. I love competition. I love the activity. But for me, at this point in life now, it's not so much about beating people when I go play golf or tennis or anything. It's just going to happen having fun. And I think that word fun has, has sort of gone away from from a lot of kids' lives because there's so much about the future. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that part of that is due to the fact that there, that the local leagues that used to organize kids' lives are – are disappearing in our town little league is struggling to survive and you know when kids play a sport for three months and then move on to something else it's easier to to maintain a sense of fun because you're just doing it for a while with your friends and there isn't all this pressure associated with it and one other thing i just want to point out is that one effect of travel sports that struck us was that because kids are specializing so early parents very quickly developed this idea that my kid is special and is going to be playing at the college level. And, you know, it it used to be that a kid who played all year round, that might be true, but that's not the case anymore. So we we surveyed about 550 parents, and 28% of them said that they thought it was very likely or, or likely that their child would get an athletic scholarship. And when parents have that mentality, the whole idea of fun is kind of, you know, set in the background and doing whatever it takes to get the the attention of a college scout takes over. That's interesting you're saying that because we've got a caller right now who I think wants to ask this question. Let's go to Michelle. Michelle, good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Um, My question has to do with my grandkids. They've all been involved in sports since they were five years old. 
and in every sport, soccer, basketball, baseball, football. And um, what what would you consider to be healthy? I think that my, my kids are trying to teach them to learn discipline and teamwork and that sort of thing. But um, how, how many sports um, is really healthy for children to be playing all at once? That's a great question, Dr. Bork. Go ahead and answer that. Yeah, so um, that ties back to my point earlier about how valuable it is to do a little homework and learn as much as you can about coaches because coaches have different priorities. And one thing that came through to us through all our interviews with parents and coaches is the life lessons that sports can teach children. Not that, that playing on a travel team will you know, increase their batting average, but that they're going to learn these lifelong skills like persistence, commitment, teamwork. And we found that some coaches really paid attention to those life lessons and emphasized them to kids, and other coaches really were more focused on winning the tournament. And so, you know, there's a whole lot that kids can get out of sports. I, I hope that people don't listen to me and think I'm just against sports. You know, these life lessons are one of the most important aspects of that, and it's, it's vital to find coaches who are on the same page as you as a parent or a grandparent. Michelle, does that help answer your question? Yes, it does, and I, because I really think that's what my kids' um, heart is, to teach them life lessons. Yeah. And when we talk to parents, you know, when their kids had stopped playing sports, that's what they talked about. That's what they said that their kids got out of sports, was the life lessons that, you know, they could use for the rest of their lives. Michelle, thanks for your call. Appreciate that. That's, that's a great question. You know, and here's the thing, uh, Christopher, you know, most kids, and, and, and there's two things I want to throw out here at, at you before we sort of wrap things up today, is most of the kids that I talk to, young people I talk to who are college athletes, I'll, I ask them this question almost, almost all the time. Mm-hmm. How many kids you started playing your sport in are still playing. And guess what they usually tell me? I have no idea. None. Yeah. Other than themselves. They're yeah. they're basically the only one when they first started playing, they're the only one still playing. They're yeah. and I would say, you know, you're survived you survived youth sports. Right. Because I hate to say it like that, but they really have. They survived the pressures, the demands and all that type of stuff. There aren't We that. also interview college um, students who had played travel teams on travel teams when they were younger and stopped when they went into, you know, when they started college. And none of them said they regretted that. They valued the experience playing sports, but they were perfectly fine moving on to other things. Exactly. And the other thing that I find is that there is a significant, and this could be a good study for you to do in your, in your next next research, yeah. the burnout factor, and I know there are coaches who don't believe in the word burnout, although I do, um, right. kids get burned out. And I'm finding that a lot of kids at age 12 and 13 are quitting their sport. And what they say is because they started at, you know, four and five and six. They don't want to play it anymore. It's not fun anymore. There's no enjoyment anymore. It's a job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So what do you think we need as we wrap things up to change all that? Uh, I think... One is information, just, you know, encouraging parents to think carefully about the choices they make. Two is to encourage them to talk about these issues with their parents. And three is just to structure kids' lives so that there is, as I said before, a balance there, that 
they they're doing things that bring them joy and that sports can be one of those but it doesn't dominate their lives you know if a kid is going to make it to division one ncaa sports they're going to excel no matter what they're they're just incredibly talented you don't need to um, dominate their lives with sports and risk the kind of burnout that you mentioned and I think that burnout happens for two reasons. Number one, there's the pressure to have to play, to have to win, have to be better than everybody else. And the pressure that, that oftentimes comes from a lot of parents to get that scholarship. And, the, and there, I know I've seen studies in the past where they've figured out how much money parents have spent on their right. kids' sports lives. And it ends up they've spent more money from age five to, you know, when they're able to go to college on their sports lives, whether it's for playing on teams, injuries, all that type of stuff, than it would to pay for their college education. For sure. Without a doubt. We found that, too. Yeah. So it's interesting. So the big issue here is education. And your article's great. Listen, I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. How can people reach you if they'd like to get a hold of you? Sure. They can email me at chbjork at vassar.edu, or I'm on Twitter at at chbjork1. And I am working on a book that focuses on this, and I would love to hear from parents if they have suggestions or ideas or anything they'd like to share with me. Well, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to stay in touch with you. And I also want to thank you for reading my book. It's nice to know somebody's read that book out there. I think it's... uh, a good educational tool for parents to have and because we talk so much about all these topics. But keep doing your research. We need that done. And thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. for having me. All right. Take care. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Our shows are podcasted on Apple, iTunes, SoundCloud, all over the place. If you know people who've got kids in sports, think this might be a good show for them to listen to, listen to what Dr. Brooke talked about. I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you did. And send me, send me uh, an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com or get a hold of me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych or you can always call me at my office at 816-561-5556 and as we wrap things up I have a little personal note I want to throw out here you know our families are so important to us and today is my little sister Joanne's birthday she is 60 today and I want to wish her the happiest of birthdays She lives in Chicago. She's got the greatest husband in the world, two of the greatest daughters in the world, a great son-in-law, and almost another son-in-law. I don't know where I'd be without my sister's support throughout my life. I love her so much. I want to wish her happy birthday. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. 